Ah, the simple joys of family life. I hope your family is faring better than Joseph's is at this point in his family story. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tom Van Antwerp, and I'm the Wilmington campus pastor, coming to you from the Wilmington Sanctuary, a place that I know and love and miss. Speaking of family, typically on Sunday mornings, my family, my wife and four kids are gathered on the couch in our living room, uh, taking in the service with all of you. It's great to know that during, even during the pandemic, we can share this experience uh, with our church family, with our extended church family. So it's good to be with you today. Well, last week, we began a new sermon series in which we've begun to explore what it's like when circumstances of our lives get turned upside down. During times when, when things are so unsettled that we begin to ask ourselves the question, is God with us? We're all making our way through tough circumstances these days. The pandemic has upended our lives dramatically in so many ways, and each of us are experiencing different stressors and different losses. And as a society, in the midst of this, we're having this really challenging and difficult conversation about race and justice. And together, we're all facing fears about what the future holds. And so during a time like this, we've decided, as we always do, to turn to the scriptures for some guidance. And in particular, we're turning now to the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, in his life, we witness one of the most compelling figures as he makes his way some of, through some of uh, the most challenging circumstances imaginable. We get to see him operate when his world gets turned upside down. And so as we go, we begin to uh, connect the dots between his experiences and our own life experience. Last week, Pastor Brian kicked it off by talking about what it's like when life goes wrong. And this week, I'll be talking about what it's like when family falls apart. I remember a number of years ago, a movie came out called Ordinary People. And it won a series of Oscars. It was a film that explored the underside of suburban life. It told the story of the Jarrett family. They were an upper middle class family living in one of Chicago's upper suburbs. They were living the American dream. Dad had a, a job as a successful lawyer. Uh, Mom was a society wife, engaged in all the right circles. Their sons, Buck and Conrad, were, were attractive and athletic and popular. So things were going well for them. And then one day, tragedy struck, and everything began to unravel. Conrad turned inward. He grew dark and angry. Mom became cold and distanced, taking away from family life. And the father became obsessed with every move that his son made, concerned that he was going to harm himself. At one point in the film, the dad made his way to his son's psychiatrist, ostensibly to, to check in on his son's progress. But when he got there, he started to realize he was really there for himself. He said to the doctor, you know, I think I was a lucky man before the accident. But then again, maybe, maybe the whole of life is just one big accident. What happens to you, what you do with it, well, that's what it feels like when family falls apart. It feels like life is one big accident, or maybe a, a series of accidents, maybe a collection of circumstances that, 
that happen to you over which you have no control. And in moments like that, you begin asking yourself the question, what is my life about? Is there any real meaning to this experience? Is there any real purpose for me? Maybe we're just bouncing in life from one uncertainty to the next. These are the kinds of questions we ask. We ask them especially when family falls apart. Now this is where Joseph finds himself at, at the end of the episode that our kids read for us so beautifully just a few minutes ago. His family was in the midst of an epic meltdown and, and it leaves him spiraling out of control. And whether your life is marked by loss or tragedy or conflict, there is no getting around it. When family falls apart, it affects us deeply. A number of decades ago, there, there came on the scene a new approach to thinking about human psychology and behavior. It started to emerge. The discipline came known, became known as family systems theory. Uh, the basic premise is that human beings do not exist in isolated circles. As a matter of fact, we, we exist and function in relational and emotional spheres, in, in human networks. And the primary human network that shapes us at a fundamental level is our family system. Uh, our family of origin, whether that's a family by nature or nurture, affects us at a deep and profound level. One of the ways to think about this is to imagine, imagine your family as a mobile. And hanging from that delicate mobile are strings with pictures of each of your family member across that mobile. Uh, the theory suggests that any change in the emotional state, the emotional functioning of one person on that mobile, sends turbulence through the system and affects every single person in that system. And so other family members' emotions and behaviors actually compensate for these kinds of emotional disturbances in, in ways that are predictable, uh, some healthy and some unhealthy. So when a parent is distant or absent. It causes children to respond in different ways. Either they step up or, or they, they step out. Uh, if a child requires a lot of attention from both the parents for one reason or another, it often makes the other kids feel like they're invisible. And an addicted family member sends shockwaves throughout the system, causing everyone to live with a heightened level of anxiety that affects them all in very different ways. So the reality is our family shapes us. But it's not just our family of origin that shapes us. It's also our ancestral family that shapes us. I remember one time when Julie and I were early in our married life, and we made our way back to my folks' home in upstate New York. And as we were there, we, we stopped and my wife, we were in one of the rooms, my wife looked at a picture that was on the wall. It was uh, an old picture of a distinguished gentleman, clearly one of uh, my ancestors. And Julie said to my mom, tell me the story, who is this? I, I actually didn't know the story either. Uh, my mom went on to say that it's Grandpa Jones. Grandpa Jones was my grandmother's, my mom's mother's grandmother, uh, a grandfather. And Grandpa Jones was the founder of one of the early steel mills just outside of Pittsburgh. Grandpa Jones made a fortune in steel and coal during the early Industrial Revolution. My mom was telling me that. I never knew that. 
But as she was talking, I could tell she was getting sort of wound up a little bit. She said, what happened was when my mother's grandmother died, Grandpa Jones married the housekeeper. And the entire fortune of Grandpa Jones went to her family, and we were cut out. My mom said, you know what? As I think about it, we never liked Grandpa Jones. She opened up the frame. She took out the picture in front of us. She tore it up, and she threw it in the garbage. Julie and I were stunned. Grandpa Jones was out, but he left a deep and, 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 and significant impact. So we'd stumbled on a family resentment that we never even knew existed. So families shape us. And families can be complicated, right? It's one of the reasons why I find it fascinating that when God steps into this broken world to begin to do his reconciling work, to, to begin to knit back the fabric of frayed humanity and creation, he chooses to do it in partnership with a human family. And it's not just that he chose to work through a human family, but he chose to work through this human family. God hitches his wagon to Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph. I mean, as you read through the narratives of these first families, you discover that they are filled with, with messiness and fracture and failure. God picked one of the most dysfunctional families to do his work through. I don't know about you, but I was thinking, if I were God, I'd do a little more vetting beforehand. I'd do a, more, a little more looking around and maybe interviewing a few more families. I think I'd land on a family like, like the Waltons or, or the Huxtables, or even the Pearson family from This Is Us would be better, as dysfunctional as that one is. But no, instead, instead God chooses to, to pick a family like the Sopranos or the Karamazovs from Dostoevsky or the Bluths from Arrested De Development. I mean, this is who he chose. And this is the family that Joseph gets born into. Trouble had been brewing in his family for generations. Joseph's father, Jacob, who was given the name Israel, by the way, the chief representative of the people that God was creating, he had 12 sons, and those 12 sons were the, were the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you imagine? Jacob, when he was younger, he cheated his brother out of his father's birthright. He robbed his uncle blind. He marries a succession of four wives, keeping them all on as his wives. And to those women were born the 12 sons, Joseph's brothers. Can you imagine that family mobile? And then we find out that Jacob plays favorites, that he gives his son Joseph a a special robe, one that represents status and privilege. And then Joseph, he takes that robe and that status and he flaunts it in front of his brothers. And, and he unwisely shares of a dream that he has of all of his brothers and his family bowing down to him. And so finally, it all erupts. Open jealousy, hatred, his brothers come to the point where they decide they're going to kill Joseph. And then they pause for a moment. And they decide they're not going to kill him. They're going to throw him into a well and leave him for dead. And then we come to one of the most darkly comedic moments of the Bible as we read this. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, 
There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, I mean, how callous these brothers are. I always picture it this way. They, they throw him down into the, the cistern. They step away a few feet. They break out their lunch, and they begin planning what next for Joseph. Even as they're planning not to kill him, not to leave him, but ultimately to sell him so they can get some profit from this thing uh, as they see a caravan heading down to, jo down to Egypt. And I envision Joseph still sitting within earshot of this conversation at the bottom of the well. Guys, I'm down here. I can hear you. You know, imagine, imagine what a scene, what a family. Families shape us. And the fact is, the fallout of family failure can be enormous. Joseph's fami family failure leads him to 13 years of chaos, years of servitude, disgrace, imprisonment. I can imagine Joseph lying in his cot wherever he is three or four months after he's been taken down to, down to Egypt, uh, thinking about his life pining away for, for home and family, feeling completely disconnected, wishing that he could be back there with his dad who loved him and shared in the joy of his affection, wishing that he could do the things and see the sights that he used to. And I can imagine him asking himself the question, this question, maybe life is just a series of accidents. Maybe life has no real purpose. Maybe God isn't with me. I wonder if you're at a place like that today. Maybe you're sitting there feeling like you have lost everything. Maybe you're in the midst of a, of a custody battle. Maybe your siblings are fighting over your, your parents' will. Maybe they're family members that you haven't talked to in years, maybe even decades. It could be that that you're living with and have lived with parents' expectations that have hung over your shoulders like a deep weight for years and years and years. Maybe you're a parent and you have a, an adult son or daughter who's drifted. The question is, is God with us? Is God with us in moments like this when we live with the fallout of family fa uh, failure? It's the question we all have to answer, right? It's the question Joseph had to answer in his situation. And it seems to me that we're left with two possible answers to that question. In moments when things fall apart, we either choose to believe that God is no longer with us. Maybe that he doesn't even exist. Maybe we choose to really believe that life is just an accident or a series of accidents. That there's no purpose. That there's no meaning. And and we either get mad or resentful or we become resigned or, or we act out in ways that, that harm others or hurt ourselves. So that's one option. Or we decide to live with the confidence that God is with us even in this. That God is present even in the midst of our circumstances and he's not done with us. And that he's still, he is still at work in and through us. You know, while we don't get a glimpse into the inner dialogue of Joseph, of Joseph's mind all the way through this story, 
what we can see is how Joseph chooses to respond. Because at every turn, Joseph acted in his circumstance as someone who would act in those set of circumstances if they believed that God was with him. At every turn in his life, Joseph seemed to be asking himself this very critical guiding question. And that is this. What would someone in my set of circumstances do if they were confident that God was with them in those circumstances? What would someone in my circumstance do if they were confident that God was with him, with them in those circumstances? That's how Joseph made decisions all the way through the next decades of his life. He responded that way as a slave in Potiphar's home. He gave himself to the responsibilities at hand. He, he, he didn't just languish at his loss. He did it when seduced by Potiphar's wife, not wanting to dishonor his boss or to sin against God. He did it when he was unjustly accused and thrown into prison. He refused to live a life of resignation. And even there, he sought ways to be helpful and to serve. He did it when he was working for the king later in the story. And spoiler, spoiler alert, years after his betrayal by his brothers, circumstances led them to reunite. And Joseph acted as if God were with him even then by bringing healing and restoration to his family rather than re recrimination and revenge. Remarkable Joseph's consistency throughout. I encourage you to think about the circumstances of your family life right now. What would someone do in those circumstances if they had confidence that God was with them in those very circumstances? What would someone do in your circumstance if they were confident that God was with them in those circumstances? Now maybe you're listening and you're saying, well, that confidence might work for Joseph, it might work for others, but but I don't have that same sort of confidence that God even exists, maybe. Or maybe you're saying, well, I used to have confidence like that, but the circumstances and the years of toil in my life have led me to really wonder if God is with me. But maybe you're saying, I wish I had confidence like that. I would love to know that God was with me in the stuff that I have to deal with day in and day out. Well, can I suggest there are a few things that you can do if you really want to experience the presence of God in your life, the with us-ness of God with you, there are a few things that I recommend. The first is simply to invite God into your family circumstance. Invite God into it. Picture again that, that family mobile, the one that you are a part of. Think of how turbulent the system becomes when things start to fall apart. It often causes you to react or respond in, in negative or hurtful ways, right? Now picture inviting God into that mobile, into that family system. Because the fact is, God wants to be a relational presence in your life. He is not just an idea or a thought. God comes to us as a person. And when he comes to us as a person, he wants to interact with us personally. And so picture him on that mobile. He's the kind of person who wants to deeply influence our lives in really positive ways. 
Because when God is present, when he's hanging from that mobile of our family system during times of chaos and crazy, like his presence can be a stabilizing presence for us. He can be a stabilizing person for us. Imagine, again, that mobile and how the presence of a, of a heavy piece in the middle of it, if it's hung, sort of stabilizes the whole thing. There'd still be jostling and twisting in the wind, but not as much. God can keep us from simply responding to the gyrations of unhealthy family. And in him we can find shelter and peace and our identity that is greater than the identity we can even find in our family. And what's amazing is when God invades not just your life, but starts to invade a family system, those who experience relationship with him find this grounding center. And the more we allow ourselves to be shaped by him, the more joy and satisfaction and purpose we discover. Well, what does it look like to, to invite God in? It looks like giving him relational space in our life, like we would for a person, for a friend. It means taking time, talking to him. And we call it prayer, and you can literally speak out loud to God during moments like that. Or you can allow your spirit to speak. It means listening to him, allowing his spirit to speak to your spirit. It means, it means finding out more about him, uncovering his plan and his purpose in the world through the scriptures, spending time in the Bible. When we gather for moments like this, for worship, uh, it's an opportunity for us to give him praise, to do that collectively, together. And we're doing that online these days. But can I tell you that the carving out a moment in your week to center your life on God is a significant part of inviting him into your experience. And then, of course, we, we find time to talk about him and with him, with friends, and, and to talk about him in our homes. Now, at the Van Antwerp home, we are consistently inconsistent with these things in our home. And when I say that, I mean we, were, we are consistent in doing these things throughout our life, but we are inconsistent in the sort of patterns that we set up. We do all of these, but at various times and as best we can. But inviting God in to your family experience means making relational space for him. The second thing we do is we allow God to shape us. Often trouble during family crisis, uh, when it happens, we can easily begin to point our fingers at the part of the mobile that the trouble is coming from. We, we know how everybody's contributing to the problem, right? We know everybody's faults. And if you're sitting with family members, stop looking around at each other right now and pointing, okay? The fact is that at least part of the problem, at least part of the trouble, is created by us. And God wants to work with you on you. He wants to work with you on you. The fact is, Joseph's own attitudes and behaviors contributed to his family's dysfunction. He played right into the hands of his own family dysfunction by leaning fully into, into an unhealthy role. He played the role of the good son. Uh, he was the one who was always the best. He was the one who, who told his father about his brothers. He was the one who flaunted his father's favor. The fact is, his negative self-assurance about his goodness overshadowed that very goodness itself. Let me say that again. His negative self-assurance about his goodness 
overshadowed his goodness. And as we read this story, what's really incredible is we start to see that God starts to do a work on Joseph in this very area of his life. The very privilege that Joseph came to expect at a young life is the one thing that God started to strip away through the circumstances of his ordeal. And and it also appears, remarkably, that Joseph embraced the change. He was willing to allow that to happen to him, for God to shape him in that way. And he emerged on the other side, a man of greater stature and a man of greater character. I had one moment in my life when when we were dealing with some conflict in our family. And as we were getting into it, my daughter said to me, yeah, but dad, the problem with you is you always think you're right. And I said, I don't always think that I'm right. That's not true. And then my my son chimes in from the other room and he says, no, dad, she's right. You kind of do always think that you're right. And I'm looking around for a little support. I turn back to my wife and Julie says, you know, Tom, they may have a point. It was in a moment when, man, did I hear loud and clear that I was part of the family dysfunction, that my own self-assuredness caused to our family chaos and, and turmoil. And man, when we're making our way through this pandemic life and family life, issues become heightened and uh, magnified. I need to do a check on my own spirit in moments like that around this issue. When I am my best self, though, I hit moments when things do get wonky and I allow God to work on me in that area of life, to to not reach for my own know-it-allness. Part of being confident that God is with you is by letting him shape you in areas that you need to be shaped. And when we allow God to shape us, we become less apt to be part of the problem and more able to be part of whatever solution might be had. So invite God in. Allow him to shape you. And then thirdly, watch as God writes his story into yours. I think this is the most remarkable part of Joseph's experience. As Joseph learned to live his life confident that God was with him in every circumstance along the way, he starts to realize that God's story and his story are beginning to merge together. Uh, It turns out God didn't just hitch his wagon to Joseph's family. God invited Joseph to hitch his wagon to God. And throughout this process, God is writing Joseph into his amazing story and weaving his story into Joseph's life. I don't know if you know it, but God is in the process of writing a beautiful story in all of creation and throughout humanity. Since the beginning of time, he's been working to restore all of what has been broken in this world, to bring hope and peace and salvation to people who are, who are hurting and empty and full of division and fracture. The story is written about throughout the pages of the scripture. What's remarkable is we can know much more of this story than Joseph ever had opportunity to hear. Because we have we're in a position where we can look back and we can see the fulfillment of that story as Jesus Christ comes into the world. We know Jesus. Joseph didn't. We know Christ, the one who is God come into this world as a baby. Jesus, the one who lived the most beautiful life, the one who showed us how it could be lived, the one who 
who died and when he died took on the weight of all the worst world's sorrows and brokenness on his shoulders. And when he rose again, he rose from the dead declaring for all to see that life triumphs over death, that hope triumphs over fear, that love destroys hate, and that what was started in him could be fulfilled in all of creation. And you know what they called him? Emmanuel. God with us. When we live asking God what we should do in the circumstances we find ourselves, we discover an invitation from this God who is with us and an invitation into his grand story. And it turns out that our lives are not just accidents waiting to happen. Our lives are stories waiting to be written. Stories of confidence in a time of pandemic. Stories of unexpected grace in the midst of conflict. Stories of triumph in the face of great loss. Stories of restoration after vows have been broken. Stories of resolve when things don't seem to be getting better. Stories of families that are healed when forgiveness is offered. Stories filled with people who do in their circumstances what someone would do in those circumstances if they believe that God is with them. Because you know what? He is. God is with us. Let's pray. God, I pray today for the families of every single person who can hear my voice. Lord, in these challenging days when family frailties are exposed, when tensions arise so quickly, when long-standing conflict gets magnified, I pray that we all would be people who would respond in our circumstance with the confidence that you are with us in those circumstances. Lord, we invite you in. We allow you to shape us. And God, may you write your story in us. In the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Amen.